here's the scene. A sunny afternoon beside a field in Norfolk, UK. Mm, the field is full of wheat. Just in the last three weeks, it's grown to shoulder height on A buckles. That's waist height on many other people. It's windy and rosy. My dog friend is standing a few feet away from me on the track. We're both just standing still, looking around, digging the elemental scene. What do you think, Rose? I don't know why you're just standing there. I'm waiting for you to go. All right, let's do this intro. What do you say? I'm a dog. I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton, I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this, that's the plan. Hey, how you doing, podcats? Adam Buxton here. Welcome to podcast episode number 179. It features a rambling conversation with American actor and comedian Natalie Palamides. Nat facts. Here's some Nat facts. Here's some Natalie Palamides facts. Natalie grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She studied theatre and fine art at the Indiana University of Pennsylvania and was introduced to the world of clowning and performance art by local ensemble The Pig Iron Theatre Company. Soon after graduating, Natalie moved to Los Angeles, California, where she signed up for improv classes. By the mid-2010s, Natalie was a regular face on LA's alt-comedy scene, performing what she described as absurd and silly character comedy at stand-up and variety shows whenever she could. In 2017, she took her first solo show, Laid, to the Edinburgh Festival, where she won the Best Newcomer Award that year. The title is not a sexy title, but refers to egg-laying. The show had a, a surreal maternity theme. She followed that up with her show Nate in 2018, which since then has played to sold-out houses in Edinburgh, London, Los Angeles and New York before being filmed as a one-hour special for Netflix in 2020. In the show, Natalie plays Nate as an absurd caricature of a tough guy douchebag with a big handlebar moustache, an unconvincingly gruff voice and fake chest hair glued onto her bare breasts. Oh, and... mm, By the way, this episode contains strong language. A big stretchy cock... Nate then proceeds to, very weirdly, explore themes of toxic masculinity, heartbreak, sexuality and consent with a live audience who are by turns amused, bemused and confused at how they should be responding, especially when one audience member is invited onto the stage to strip to the waist along with Nate and take part in an uncomfortably committed bout of wrestling. 
In addition to her comedy performances, Natalie is also an increasingly in-demand actor and voice artist for shows like Bob's Burgers, Powerpuff Girls and Family Guy. My conversation with Natalie was recorded remotely in mid-April of this year, 2022, with Natalie in Los Angeles and me in my Norfolk nutty room. The day we spoke, there was some confusion about Zoom links and invitations, which meant that we started half an hour later than we had arranged. When this kind of thing happens with a guest that I don't know very well, it's always interesting to see how they're going to respond, and it's usually a good indication of whether you're going to get on and have a good conversation. When I did eventually connect with Natalie, she was pretty pissed off and keen to let me know that I'd wasted her valuable time. Oh, no, wait. It was the opposite. She was very nice about it, and after a very British apologising session, we were off and reminiscing about our one and only meeting up to that point after a stand-up show in London that she did earlier this year with friend of the podcast Tim Key. That led us into discussing the ways that Lyme disease has made life more challenging for Natalie over the last few years. I was a bit vague about the nature of Lyme disease, which you get from tick bites. Talking about Rosie and her ticks the other day. These days, if you're walking around in the long grass where deer stroll, you've got to cover up and or check yourself thoroughly for those ticks when you get home. Anyway, there's a link in the description of today's podcast for a little further information, brief overview of Lyme disease. But we also spoke about making uncomfortable comedy, times when we felt vulnerable on stage, the point at which successful people turn into assholes, and Natalie shared an email from one of her parents which will make you think again if you have ever felt that your family haven't been sufficiently supportive of your creative efforts. I'll be back at the end for a small slice of waffle, but right now, with Natalie Palamides. Here we go. Well, no, I'm the one who should be sorry. No, you're not. In fact, I'm the one who is sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. I I had a um, forgot to set the alarm morning. Oh, okay. I woke up and I was like. (laughs) Natalie is miming a person who forgot to set an alarm. What a morning. No, like. You know, you email me at like 923 or something. You're like, so sorry. Like, that's when I woke up. Okay. I woke up (laughs) at that same time and was like, oh, my God. (laughs) And I was like running around grabbing my microphone and stuff because I just have my microphone like in a closet, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I think it's good now. I've checked everything and I've checked so many times, Adam, (laughs) and 
Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for doing it. Yeah, yeah. I was a little anxious that maybe you had remembered our conversation when we met and thought, you know what, I'm going to teach that guy a lesson and not turn up for his stupid podcast. Do you remember what we talked about when we met? What? Well, we talked about um, people re-recording the podcast because it wasn't quite up to snuff. It wasn't re-recording, so actually, I suppose that was an element of it. Oh, but not using it. Yeah, not using. I it. was admitting yes. to you that I sometimes don't use conversations that I've recorded for a variety of reasons. Not always because, you know, sometimes it's a technical problem, but but sometimes it is a content issue. If yeah. either myself or the guest haven't really clicked, and it just feels like, oh well, that didn't really work. So maybe I I just won't put it out. And you thought this was me being like, well, you can't not use my recording because I'm not going to show up for the recording. Yeah, exactly. Get your okay, priorities yeah. right. Because you seemed a little scandalized when I told you that. Or maybe the impression I um, got was that you thought like, who do you think you are? Like, it sounds a bit <laughs> precious. You know, you're doing a podcast here. You're not making a feature film. Just put it out. Who cares? Well, no, I appreciate – I mean, I did have that thought. I did have that thought. You weren't wrong. I, I wasn't trying to be, you know, uh, critical of you or anything like that. But it, I was more surprised because I had done so many podcasts where I'm like, oh, my God, that was the worst thing I've ever done. Like I was like half asleep or I had like major brain fog or blah, blah, blah. And like it still went out and I wished – I, I was like also like, oh, my God, I didn't know there was a possibility where I could have asked the person like, hey, can you please not put that out? Like, I hated that so much. So I actually really appreciate that you are so discerning. Yeah, conscientious. Work. And yeah, and I appreciate that as an artist. You're, you're an artist. That's right. So I have the utmost respect for it. Thank you I think much. it's awesome. And I actually have something I just did that I think really sucks. And I just asked, like, please don't put this out. Mm -hmm. So that and that's all because of you. Yes, quite right. Why did you feel you sucked at this thing? The timing was really bad. I had just had COVID and I was not feeling well that day even. But. I can't blame it all on that because I've had shows where I've been able to Michael Jordan it. Are you familiar with Michael Jordaning? No. What was the thing that was distinctive about him? I didn't know that he specialized in pushing through under adverse. Oh, yes. Flu game. The flu game. It's a big thing. What? Did he get flu on a number of occasions and still play well? No. He got the flu on one occasion and he... Like, played the best game of his life, you know, or not maybe not his life, but he played a really damn good game. And uh, he's just famous for like kicking ass on this game when he was like throwing up off the court, essentially. Oh, yeah. And so I have Michael Jordan did before. I have Lyme disease, actually. I don't know if I told you this. No. So I'm very familiar with like performing when I feel ill and I just feel do it and I'm like you can fucking do it let's go you know and I like always push myself through and like so Americans I think call it Lyme disease I think what mm. do we call it here is that, is that the same as mononucleosis 
No, it's different than mononucleosis, which is also called Epstein-Barr virus. Right. What do we call it? Maybe we call it Lyme disease. I can't remember. I'm blanking on it. You might call it Lyme disease. Honestly, it's like just coming up into popularity over the past few years. I think because doctors have become more familiar with how to diagnose it and stuff. Yeah. It's famous for being like a mystery illness sort of thing, which was my experience. And what kind of symptoms are we looking at? You're looking at any kind of symptom, like from anxiety to panic attacks to rashes to flu to numbness in your limbs to brain fog to like some people experience paralysis or arthritis whenever so like my thing whenever it got into its later stages because it goes in stages you know it's like it's like progressively worse it's like you can't figure out what it is my left arm started going numb in the left side of my face. And that's when I was like, because I had always been mysteriously ill very often, like with the flu or like inflammation, a lot of like just weird shit. But then once my arm started going numb, I went to the emergency room and I was like, dude, I can't feel my arm and or my face. And they're like, yeah, everything's fine. Oh. I was like, I don't have like a blood clot, something like that. And, and at this point, I had already been to like 50 doctors, like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And then after the arm thing, I finally went back with that to a doctor. And he was like, I think you have Lyme. Like, let me test you for Lyme. And uh, yeah, that's what I had. Whoa. Had. And so how, yeah. when did you start experiencing those symptoms? And where do you think you got it? <sighs> So I have no fucking clue because, so, well, so I started experiencing the symptoms spring of 2016. Uh-huh. I'm a doctor, by the way, so you can tell me all of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I figured it out in February 2020. Whoa, that's four years of mystery ailments. That's not good. Yeah, and I went on, off the rails. Like, I, as soon as I, like, went through all the doctors and I had gone through all these, like, practical ways of addressing what I had and nobody had any answers for me, I went off the rails and I did so much weird shit. Like, I have an ozone machine. I was doing coffee enemas. I sting myself with bees. Well, actually, I started stinging myself with bees after I found out I had Lyme. I also, I did a... How do you? St- I did a twenty-day water fast. I heard that you did a twenty-day water fast, but bee stinging I'm not familiar with as a treatment. Yeah, so it's actually really good for Lyme specifically, but it can treat a multitude of ailments. And uh, you, I mean, at least over here, you order bees in the mail, and they come in a little box. And you put them in a little bee hut and you just, you have to have an EpiPen with you because you, even if you're not allergic to bees, you can have an allergic reaction at any time. These are live bees. These are live bees. Yeah, they have to be live when you do it. And you you pick it with a little tweezer and then you want to sting along your spine for Lyme. Sure. There's different places that you sting for different ailments. Like a lot of people do it for arthritis. And so you can sting your joints or whatever and... 
people do it at certain acupuncture points mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But so, you, yeah, you just look in the mirror and you sting yourself in the back and you work your way up to doing How six you, to ten stings a session. Hang on, hang on. How do you uh, sting yourself on the back with a live bee? You just hold the bee. Yep. And then just pop it on the back until it stings you. Yeah. That is, that's terrible. I know. It feels terrible, too. Like, honestly, what hurts more than the sting is having to, like, sacrifice this bee. Oh, right, because the bee dies thereafter. The bee dies. But I will say, for anybody worried about the bee population out there, it helps actually to grow the bee population because you're supporting bee farmers. And the bees that they send you are forager bees, which are bees who are close to death. Uh-huh. Anyway, so bees are very organized creatures. Um, and the bees that they keep closest to the edge of the hive are the bees that are about to die. Because okay. they don't want any dead bees in their hive. So you're just killing off the ones who are like, you know, done with it anyway. They've had enough. They've had enough, yeah. The final dream they have is to reinvigorate a talented performer by stinging them on the spine. <laughs> you know what's so funny is like before I did this, I was like, I'm not going to talk about Lyme. I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. And it's like, of course, it's like the first thing I took because I feel like so annoyed with myself. It's like, I'm like, shut up, Natalie. It's like all you talk about, you know, it like becomes you're dealing with it all the time. So yes. it just becomes part of your identity. Like another reason why it's like, I, it took me like however long it did to like pop on. It's like I went to go grab the mic and then I had to like shove all this stuff down my throat, like all these medicines and shit that I take to like, you know, keep keep me going. But the thing with the bees is you're not really supposed to take any medicines uh, when you do it, but I do. Hmm. Is this a condition that you can just grow out of or are you stuck with it now? Supposedly you're stuck with it, but... I think I'm going to get rid of it. And here's why. People who have done the bee venom thing, the bee venom therapy is the only thing that has been proven to show that you can actually eradicate the Lyme disease. So that's why I think I'm going to get rid of it. I tell my doctor this and he's like, okay, you know, like, yeah, you're going to, he's like, you know, doesn't want me to get my hopes up. But I'm not getting my hopes up. It's just, um, it's better to me (laughs) if I can think that I won't have this anymore, which I think I'm not going to. I'm going to get rid of it. Yeah. And we can reconvene in like, I think it'll be a couple years once I've gotten rid of it. I'll tell you about that. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm sure you (laughs) will. Also, let's not by any means underestimate the power of positive thought when it comes to uh, physical conditions. I'm not saying. Are you a proprietor of, proprietor of positive thought? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you've seen it work with other people. Yeah, I mean, evidently it does. I, I, I totally believe in that stuff. You can see by just looking at placebo trials how effective mm. it is to think positively and to believe in something. I mean, it makes a difference. And um, Yeah. So have you, uh, can I ask you, <laughs> can I ask what age you are? Okay, yeah, but I'm going to have you guess first because I just had this conversation with my friend last night. 
So I was like, well, this is going to give uh, – can I tell you? I'll tell you this after you guess after okay. you guess my age. All right. Okay. I guess that you are – oh, this is tricky. 52-year-old man guessing the age of a younger woman. Um, <laughs> oh, shoot. I was going to guess your age. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay, uh, but I, well, let me tell you right now. I was going to say like 40-something. <laughs> Well, that Not makes 52. it that makes it much harder. Um, I think that you are. I mean, it's tr- it is tricky because you could be anywhere between twenty five and thirty five. I would say that you're twenty eight. Okay, okay, I'm thirty two. Oh, I'm 32. Okay. I appreciate it. So not bad. So. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate the four-year discount you gave me. I was just saying to my friend last night, I've been recently disappointed because people used to guess that I was, like, so much younger than I am. And I'm like, oh, my God. I must have gotten wrinkly as hell because now people are just guessing on the dot, like, my my age. They're like, oh, you're you're 32, obviously. And I'm like, Fuck. Like, yeah, you know, but I look 32. It was just fine, you know. I am factoring in, though, the amount of stuff you've done. I'm assuming that you're not 22 because you've done quite a few shows. You've been around. I know that uh, I, I know you've been around. I know you used to intern at Conan. Uh, that's right. And that was 2011, I think, around that time. So, yeah, you can't be that young, but... Um, I think, uh, yes, you do look young. Also, you change your appearance quite a bit. So, uh-huh. you know, That's true. The, the thing that I've seen you in for the longest period of actual time was um, mm-hmm. the Nate special. Right. In uh, which you yeah. are not really totally recognizable for a lot of... I mean, you were recognizable, but you're covered in... A mustache. A tash, Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm covered in a big mustache. My face is covered. My tits are not. Well, they're covered in... They've got hair on them. <laughs> they've got... <laughs> yeah. Not your they hair. They have a hair shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for people who haven't seen Nate, a one-man show, you're playing this guy who, to me, seems like a caricature of a New York blue-collar tough guy. Yeah, yeah, that's an accurate description. And, in fact, it reminded me initially of Lou Reed. Oh, thank you. You know, in the way that he sort of played around with gender ideas a certain amount. Beat up. And he wasn't 100% straight himself all his life. But still, he liked that leather-clad, tough guy, gang member type of image, I think. Yeah, bad boy. Yeah, and you play around with that. By having this big handlebar moustache and your shirt is off, you have a jacket on, but it's kind of open and you've got all this hair over your chest. You come on on a tiny motorbike, then you're basically playing around with the audience's idea of what you're doing. Like, it's not clear whether this is a real whether you think you're a real guy or is this a, <laughs> is this a parody of someone being a guy or is this an actual guy and all of that is <laughs> is fluid throughout the performance and you play with it in very entertaining ways oh thank you so much for saying that 
that is kind of the intention to walk that line and yeah, thanks for noticing and you've worded it really well. I appreciate that. I don't think I could ever uh, speak so clearly about what I do as you you just kind of have. So thanks. I'm going to use that from now on. Okay. I'm just going to rip what you said <laughs> and act like I said it. Thanks very much. But at one stage you take a shower and it's an emotional mm. moment in the piece. Yes. But it's also very funny because you strip off and throughout the show it is odd to realize that you are bare-chested and that there's just this fake um, hair stuck onto your chest. And then when you're in the shower, some of that hair starts coming off. Yeah. And it starts to transition from something that's totally mad and funny to something that's weirdly sexy. Do you know what I mean? Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, I've had, like, uh, you know, people tell me after shows that it's, like, they're into it, and it's, like, straight women. Mm -hmm. They're like, I have a crush on Nate or whatever. Some people, and this has only happened to me in my London shows, twice within the same week at separate shows, two people, and one guy was sitting in the front row. Okay, maybe he didn't have his glasses on, I don't know. He said, I really thought you were a man until you pulled your dick off at the end. (laughs) And it's just fine, you know, but I was just like, wow, okay. Like, what about my my boobs? And he was like, some guys have little boobs. And I was like, that's fair. But the part that I can't get behind is like the dick is like so stretchy and rubbery. I'm like, how did you not know that wasn't real? Until I pull it off. Like, there's literally a part where I stretch it and, like, put it into my mouth. <laughs> that should have been the giveaway there. You know what I'm saying? But Maybe he thought you were wearing that on top of your real willy. Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe so. But what's the weirdest thing somebody has said to you after a show? Or has anybody ever hit on you after a show? I don't. How did that make you feel? Yeah. Can answer any of those? Mm, well, I don't think so is the short answer because I've been... Really? Yeah, I don't think... I don't do that kind of show. Like, I don't generally... What's the kind of show that would get you hit on? My show? Well, the thing is that your show is... It's crackling with sexual energy. And it's, sure, su- sure, it, sure. it's supposed to be, right? Because it's all about you... Yeah. You kind of tackling issues of consent, sexual consent, and gender roles, and all that sort of stuff. And you're doing it in a way that's funny and absurd and strange. Sure. But it is also, it has an edge to it, because you are exposed, literally. Yeah. And that in itself, I I suppose, makes people feel strange. I don't do anything like that. I don't expose myself to that degree. I suppose... I suppose the I expose myself emotionally sometimes. So if I'm okay, if I'm reading something I've written about my children or something, perhaps I sometimes have been I get emotional, and uh, a couple of times I've had to kind of stop and oh wow, it chills the audience out a little bit because it makes them feel uncomfortable. They don't really know. Well, I I don't know. In that moment, I'm never sure how they feel. Usually afterwards, yeah. people say, oh, that was nice. It was emotional when you got emotional, you know. Yeah, they're moved. Yeah, but in the moment, it feels to me very indulgent. And it feels like 
I shouldn't. Really? And like self-indulgence, speaking about your kids even? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've written. So this is when I was reading stuff from this book that I wrote. So I was happy with what I'd written. But there was always a couple of lines that used to trip me up. What were those lines? Well, out of context, it was stuff about my my teenage son and how, you know, how teenagers behave and they pull away and and they become distant. And it's very painful to experience that. And you know it's coming because everyone talks about it. And that's what teenagers are like. You know, they, they, they pull away from their parents. That's what you do. But, um, you know, you're never quite you always think, I think, as a parent that, oh, no, that won't happen to me because I'm so nice and we're we're such good friends and we can talk about anything and it's all cool. And (laughs) but then, of course, it does happen. And then you are looking for just very small windows of connection and they do come along. If you're lucky, I mean, some I, I'm I'm lucky. I have, I think, a good relationship with my children. Some people have it much harder. But um, yeah. with my children, especially the the one I'm thinking of, one of the, one of the boys, he does he listen to this podcast? No, he doesn't. No, okay. but um, he just chooses his moments. He's just, you know, he's he's fairly inscrutable a lot of the time. But every now and again. There'll be a point of connection, and because they're so rare, they really kind of floor me. You know what I mean? Ah! Oh, wow, that's so beautiful. Well, it is. It is lovely in the moment, and often those connections come uh, when we're listening to music. Like we both, well, actually, all of us really love music. So when we're listening to music together, I get very emotional. And so when I read a bit about that on stage, which is mainly supposed to be funny, but there is a serious bit in it. There's a serious line. But um, yeah. but yes, it's a it's a weird thing. You suddenly think, oh, God, I'm going to cry. And I can't say the next sentence because oh. I don't want to start sobbing. And yes, it is good that there's some genuine emotion here. And it's not just me being glib and sort of reading things robotically. It's beautiful. But on the other hand... It is a weird thing. And you're never sure, like, maybe someone in the audience is thinking, what, you're choking up at this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, oh, gosh. And are these readings that you do? So, okay, forgive me for my ignorance, but did, did were you, you came from stand-up, right? No, not really, actually. And, uh, oh, okay. My background was uh, making videos. Oh. Me and... Do you know Joe Cornish? He directed a film called Attack the Block. Yes. Yes, I love that movie. He's my old comedy partner. Oh, okay, okay. We were at school together and um, we always made videos and uh, we eventually got a TV show over here in the UK doing sketches and parodies of films using little toys and things like that. Right, okay, okay, nice. So we got into it that way, you know, um, we we were never stand ups. We never did anything live. It was always gotcha. video stuff. So it was okay. like YouTube before YouTube is how we always described it. I should have done some research on you before I came on. I forgot to set my alarm. <laughs> I'm rocking up. My hair's not brushed. I just did some mouthwash, which honestly I didn't even have to do because you know, you know when you're running late, you like real quick do a mouthwash yeah. instead of brush your teeth so that you don't offend somebody with your breath. But here. 
that wouldn't have been a problem because you're thousands of miles Physically away. Physically distant. It's going to say millions of miles, but I think you would be in outer space if it was millions. Anyway. But that so, is a new feature they could introduce on Zoom is some sort of... That's got to be possible as well. Come on, tech guys. Oh, no. There's yeah. got to be a way of detecting the chemical makeup of certain smells. You have a sensor yeah. in the laptop, and then at the other end... Uh, oh, it can squirt out an approximation of Oh the... no, it squirts on you? Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> Buxton. I don't know if I want my laptop squirting on me. Of course, everyone There's does. not many things I want squirting on me. <laughs> Yesterday I squirted milk all over myself. I'll just say that. Was that deliberate? <gasps> no. It oh. was not deliberate at all. It was a terrible mistake. I had opened the jug of milk mm-hmm. and then you know you go to shake it. Do you drink milk? Uh, I drink oat milk. Oh, I see. I'm opposite. I drink raw milk, Ooh. like straight from the udder. It's Whoa. so good. Unpasteurized. Yeah, yeah. Unpasteurized, because it has a lot of probiotics in it. I bet it does. Bet it's got lots it of does. stuff I don't want to drink in it. But um, what were we talking about? Computers squirting on you? Oh yeah, I was gonna say that would maybe make online dating a little bit easier if you could squirt on somebody through the computer with your pheromones you know because that's a big part of dating is smelling somebody right absolutely that's what they say yeah definitely well one of the distressing things about losing my sense of smell post-covid was that do you still not have it back well no i've got it's mainly back it's it's good there's there's a few spots on the spectrum that are still blank but the main thing I couldn't smell was nasty smells, bad smells. Uh. Like nice smells, I was still okay with. I could smell coffee and oranges and things like that. Oh, okay. But That's I nice. couldn't smell farts and I couldn't smell my BO, <laughs> which normally I like to keep tabs on. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to know if you don't, if you're not smelling good. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, you would think that that's a utopic way of smelling, you know, that's the ideal way to smell is to not be able to smell the bad smells. But then once it's gone, you realize what the use of it was. Exactly. Why it was there. Yeah. You can't have the rose without the fart or you can't appreciate the rose without the fart, which is true of art as well. Oh, my gosh. Adam, are you crying? (laughs) Adam's getting choked up right now. Because I this is one of those moments. I often from your book. I'm writing it down. This is going to be in round two. But I, in general, I do sometimes think I shy away from challenging art and uh, confrontational art because I would rather Mm. be comforted a lot of the time. You know what I mean? And of course, it's, I feel guilty about it because of what I just said, the brilliant thing I just said about the roses and the farts, because you do need both. Mm. Otherwise, you can't really, you know, your appreciation is compromised, really, as I discovered when I lost my sense of smell. That's great. I get the impression that you are someone that is quite comfortable with um, difficult things, weird things artistically. Is that right? Yes, artistically, I do like to go to places that are uncomfortable 
for myself and for the audience, like I think it's fun and interesting to take people there. And I also find that if I can like create that much tension to where it's like genuinely uncomfortable and then break it, like those are the biggest laughs that you get. Mm -hmm. And who were the performers who did that kind of thing that you admired when you were growing up and since then? Oh, gosh. I guess, like, you know, Andy Kaufman. I love Andy Kaufman. You know, these performers, I'm not sure they, like, sought out, like, discomfort or anything like that. But I guess, like, uh, Amy Sedaris, like, when she does Jerry Blank, like, there's a lot of, like, uh, I guess, nasty territory that she covers, like, She's just not PC at all, which was what I love about her work. Austin Powers, I love, like, Mike Myers, although I don't think he, like, <laughs> uses specifically the type of discomfort we were talking about. It doesn't feel, like, dangerous, I guess, anything that Mike Myers does. It's just totally goofy. But I just, I, I watched him all growing up. I remember, like, in third grade, which is like you're like nine years old. I was like, I'm horny, baby, yeah. And my dad was like, don't say that. <laughs> but he would laugh, you know. So I would get a laugh out of doing that. I knew there was like something funny. I didn't know what horny meant, but I knew I was like saying something bad. And so I knew you could like get laughs from like being, being bad. Yeah, um, and that was yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. But to go back to Andy Kaufman, did you see Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond? No. Wait, is that, is that, wait. That's the documentary. Oh, about. Man on the Moon. Yes, yes, I did see that. I did see that. That's very interesting. Yeah. And how did you feel about him there? Because I, uh, actually a previous episode of this podcast features a conversation with the director of that, Chris Smith. Oh, really? And Of the documentary? Yeah. Because okay. I was sort of repelled by it. When I watched it, it was fun to watch with friends because everyone had a very different response to it. Mm. And so for people who haven't seen the doc, I would recommend it. Basically, yeah. there was hundreds of hours of footage shot by a friend of Jim Carrey's when he was filming Man on the Moon and he was playing Andy Kaufman. And evidently, he more or less stayed in character a lot of the time, either as Andy Kaufman or as Tony Clifton, one of Andy Kaufman's characters, who's this kind of grotesque, sexist bore, and yeah. who's kind of surrounded by um, playboy bunnies and things like that the whole time, and it's just a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> but he stayed in character a lot of the time, yeah, and goaded people, picked fights with people behind the cameras, and... Yeah. So you're asking like how I felt about Jim after seeing it or? Well, yeah. I mean, just your take on it. Were you sort of thinking, yeah, good on you, Jim, you are embodying the maverick spirit of Andy Kaufman? Or are you thinking, stop being a bellend because yeah. people, you're just winding up people who don't know what's going on? And it's not funny for them. Yeah. I, I was thinking about it when I watched it. I was conflicted, you know, because I always look at it also from the point of, like, the performer. And I'm like, oh, God, that takes so much energy to do that. Like, part of me is like, why? 
would you even want to do that? You don't want to be buds with, like, everybody you're shooting with and, like, have fun with them. Like, it makes me question the actor a little bit. Like, really? You can't get into character if you step out of it for a second? So I'm a little bit judgy with that. But also, at the same time, I I commend it because I'm like, I could never do so. Like, I could never go method you know, fast forward like maybe 10 years and I'm doing some (laughs) method project or whatever. But it just seems to me like so much wasted energy that you could be saving for the camera. And also like, yeah, I think it's fucked up to like fuck with everybody around you. It's like not necessary. So like, yeah, part of me was definitely like put off by it. And then the other part was like, wow, I can't really fathom doing that and like you're really talented because you're Mm. able to like so it's like you know i i do think he's you know one of the most talented actors comedians probably to ever grace the earth but who is this jim carrey or jim carrey Jim Carrey. carrey oh and then like in regards to like what the doc like how it kind of showed kaufman's behavior i i guess i would say like I was just really surprised and but I also thought it was baller like that he like pushed back so much like doing taxi mm-hmm. you know he was like such an asshole on the taxi set and they still like had him do the show I mean it's I'm just conflicted by it because I think it's like awesome <laughs> but if somebody was to do that on a set I was working on, I would hate him. Yeah. <laughs> and be like, what the fuck, dude? Like, can we just do this fucking scene, you know? Um, so how did you feel about it? I think the same. A mixture yeah. of things. Because there's admiration for someone who is, A, that committed, and B, that liberated, I suppose. Yeah, from, yeah, exactly. From the... Yeah anxieties the worries about pissing other people off what other people are going to think of you you know to be able to escape that however you do it whether it's playing another person or or not is what so many of us dream of and Mm. to see him actually doing it and someone like Sasha Baron Cohen and lots of people who are able to just overcome the normal barriers of good sense that most of us respect is quite exciting yeah what is sasha baron cohen like like is he an asshole on set like does he not break character i'd never heard anything like that about him oh i don't know him at all but um oh okay okay uh i'm gonna say he's a he's an asshole i'm gonna i'm just gonna guess you're gonna make a guess (laughs) (laughs) no i'm sure he's very nice i've never heard anything bad about him but um, no, let's stick with your first one. I like just guessing that somebody's an asshole. Well, he's so like, successful. I think that I mean, person sucks. Yeah, come on. He's had too much. People love him. People think he's a genius. It's time oh. for us to just think of him as Can an I asshole. Can I ask you this? Yeah, Adam. Like about successful people. Like recently, like I feel like I've had the blinders ripped off. I've recently been meeting more and more like successful people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they say never meet your heroes. And I'm like, when does this happen to people? At what point do they turn into an asshole? And, like, is it something that they develop from being so successful they have to, like, put up a wall or whatever to, like, protect themselves? Like, 
what the fuck? Like, these people that I love and admire, you meet them and you're like, oh, fuck you. Like, you suck. Names. I'm names, just like, names. 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 Oh, God. <laughs> I really can't say. I know. I, I will say this. I recently worked with somebody who uh, was from a very well-to-do upbringing or whatever. But she's done... They've done, fuck, they've done a ton of TV. So I was surprised when she kind of snapped at the sound guy and was like, do not put your hand up my shirt. Like, you are not going to put your hand up my shirt. Like, how dare you? I barely know you. And they looked to me, like, for some sort of, like, comfort and, you know, some support. Like, can you believe, like, the sound guy just did that? And I'm thinking, like, well, he's just, like, doing his job, you know, like, he's a nice guy, like, just trying to mic you. And so I was telling this other person, famous person, what happened, like, can you believe they snapped at the sound guy like that? Like, how rude. Yeah. Because he was perfectly nice. Anyways, this person was like, well, I totally get where they were coming from. I hate when sound people touch me. They're always talking about how the mic is crackling and, like, they think the sound is more important than the acting. And they're always going on about the mic and their breath always smells weird. And it just kind of takes a certain kind of person to become a sound person. Like, you know, someone who wants to sit alone all day in a dark corner listening, like, to the sound. I'm like, yeah, like a normal person, a normal, nice person, like, wants to do that job. Like, they're always, like, normal, nice people. And I don't know, like, when this person was saying this to me, I think they could see from the look on my face that they were sounding like an asshole. And they said, I guess I kind of sound like an asshole. And in my head, I was thought, like, yeah, you do sound like an asshole. <laughs> Outwardly, I was like, well, you know, yeah, I was trying to – I didn't know how to respond, <laughs> but I was trying to still be polite and not tell them that they did sound like an asshole. But they – I should have probably said, yeah, you do sound like an asshole. Anyway, sorry. I'm like reliving this moment in my head right now and I'm like, oh, fuck. Fuck that person. But the, I, I'm like, you suck. Like yeah. to have that perspective, it's so elitist to like – to even think that it's okay to say like – sound people suck like fuck you like who do you think you are and like also like if they don't get the sound they can't get your acting you know what i mean like your acting actually doesn't matter without the sound otherwise you're gonna have to do a ton of acting in adr you fucker you know like shut up yes oh my god so that was just really disappointing because it was somebody who I really, really admired mm. that said that. And, yeah, I just was like, fuck. But I, now I'm torn because I love this person's work so much. Well, maybe they were having suck. an off day. or No. no. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was actually a very nice day. I was with the person a lot for a lot of the day. That's how I know that it was it was a, a good yeah. day. But you, I guess you never know what's going on behind the eyelids. You know, maybe they are having an off day. Right. Um, 
just to tie up the Andy Kaufman loose end, uh-huh. one of the things that he became famous for, a bit of confrontational performance, was wrestling women on stage. Right. And there is a part of your show in Nate where you pick out a member of the audience and you, in character as a tough guy, invite mm-hmm. them to come and wrestle you. Yeah. And uh, that's a part of the show that a lot of people have latched onto because I suppose it is, especially in the modern context of what's going on in the culture and everything, it is a very odd moment. And uh, <laughs> it's it's funny, but it's really strange. And how did you get to the point where you did that in the first place? What was the first time you did that? Oh, gosh. Well, the first time I did it... well. I'll just preface this by saying, like, all growing up, I wrestled my brother. <laughs> so my brother was a wrestler, like, for sports, and he would always ask me, like, hey, can I practice this new move on you to try to get it, like, before he would go into practice or whatever. Um, and he would, like, give me a pack of gum as payment. So I always love wrestling. I think it's fun. Like I love doing kind of rambunctious, rough and tumble sort of stuff. And I was trying to think of a new 10-minute set to do for a show where I wanted to try something that I felt was risky and had never done it before. I mean, I probably had the Kaufman stuff in my subconscious, but the first time I tried it, it was more out of like a want to do something that would make me feel at risk and to try something new that I had never done before. I'm like, oh, I've never wrestled anybody. And the first time I did it, I did it as Nate. And I just went to like the show called The Tomorrow Show, which is, I don't know if you know a comedian. His name's Ron Lynch. He does this show that's famously every Saturday night at midnight. And it's called The Tomorrow Show. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, yeah. So I knew I was going to do this show, and I was like, well, I'll try this out here. And I I came up with it like hours before. I was like, I'm going to wrestle somebody, and I'll do it as this character, and I'll just like see my girlfriend in the audience there with somebody else and challenge him kind of like to a, to a match. And I kind of just improvised my way through it. And the first time I did it, there was no mat – or anything we just like did it on the floor but I I always like pick out a couple so I did that I was like who's here like with their partner and then you know interview them about their relationship and then you know realize that she is my girlfriend and then accuse her of like cheating on me and invite the guy up so that was like all kind of the same from the first time I sort of did it as far as I can remember and um there was no sort of like directions or anything. So like in the special, when I pull him up on stage, I give him this folder and inside the folder, I say that it's like a liability release waiver, but what's actually in there, it says like, you're about to wrestle Nate for real. Please let him know if you have any sensitivities or anything or injuries that he should be aware of. And also, remember, Nate is just a little lady, so please wrestle gently but with passion. Um, (laughs) But there never was any of that sort of information given to the audience member beforehand until I went to do Edinburgh. 
And the theater, the Soho theater, during the risk assessment, they're like, you have to give them some sort of warning about what's about to happen, like, as a part of the risk assessment for the show. And honestly, I just kept it in because it helped me out, too. Like, they actually did a better job wrestling me when they knew, like, that that was the task, the assignment. But up until that point, I did have fun, like, playing with them, not really knowing if I was, like, seriously wanted to fight them or what. But as a result of that, sometimes, like, people would really fight me, like, really hard. Mm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Which was interesting. It's interesting because, like, obviously I'm playing this stupid character. Like, I'm dressed as this, like, you know, cartoon version of a douchebag. And, uh... I don't know, but I would, like, actually get these guys, like, a little bit worked up. Like, I got, like, thrown down, like, pretty hard sometimes, which to me is, like, so funny. I mean, it wasn't funny to me at the time because I'm like, Nat, like, you don't want to hurt yourself, you know? Yeah. And you and you don't want to put anybody in the position to, like, hurt you, you know, either. Like, they wouldn't feel good about hurting me. It's just, like, sort of, like... You know, people get on stage, they get nervous, they want to, like, play in the show. And then also, like, I'm calling their girlfriend a whore ass and stuff like that and a slut. Like, I would, you know, in earlier versions of the show, I was workshopping it. Like, sometimes I would really go after, like, their girl and, like, I would try to get a rise out of them and see. And, like, kind of play with that, which maybe is a little bit fucked up. Maybe that's, like, (laughs) maybe that's a little bit of the... uh, insanity that we were kind of talking about earlier with Andy Kaufman although I don't think I'm that uh, like unaware as as he was of how it could affect people but I don't know it is fun to sort of you know just test the limits a little bit yeah and it gets a a strong reaction and I heard you talking about the fact that when your dad saw the special on Netflix he did not respond well to it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, of course. Of course. I mean, what kind of upbringing did you have? Were your parents quite strict or religious or that kind of thing? No, no. They're, uh, well, I was raised Catholic, but um, my parents aren't super religious. I mean, they, they're they complex creatures. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're religious when it's convenient for them to bring up religion. Um, but, you know, if they don't feel like going to church because the game's on, then they'll watch the game. You know what I mean? But my mom will, like, bring up, like, sin and, like, you don't want to sin. But then also she, like, never would go to church. I remember as a kid, there was a couple Christmases that we didn't even go to church. And I was like, please, like, it's, I'm going to go to hell if I don't go to church. And they're like, God will forgive you. God will forgive you. It'll be fine. So they kind of play into like the, you know, the Catholic way of like practicing religion, which is like, you know, always ask for forgiveness later. You can always go to confession. I like those kind of Catholics who are like, yeah, I'll fuck around and then just go to confession later. <laughs> it's like a fun way to live life, I think. Like, But um, what were we saying? Oh, were they strict? No, not at all. Uh, not strict at all. I have really funny parents. Um, they're, they're characters. They're not strict. They actually, like, 
really like let me roam around a lot like as a kid there were like days where I didn't come home where I was like just at my friend's house and my mom would call up and be like hey is Natalie there like I don't know where she is like is she at your house and so I would just be gone for like days my mom wouldn't know where I was but aged how old uh oh probably like 12 or yeah old enough to like be gone you know but no, they were never strict. I'm trying to figure out, like, how to... I mean, you weren't allowed to swear or anything like that. I don't know how to really describe that. I was just a good kid, so I guess they didn't really have to be that strict, and they could always trust me. They, they are really um, conservative. Mm-hmm. So, like, my mom does want me to be very ladylike, and so does my dad. They expect me to, like... My dad's never like verbalized it, but you know, I'm I'm his like little girl or whatever. So I imagine like seeing uh like his daughter like naked on TV was a bit jarring. And then my mom has just never liked anything that I've done. So like she used to tell me that my comedy was like porn and that like Disney would never hire me. Like I have these emails from her. Let me see if I can bring up an email. They were like, and I told, they were like really nasty, some of them. I said to her one time, I said, these emails like really hurt my feelings. And I don't think you realize. And I was like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore until you stop sending them. And then she did. (laughs) It's hard for parents to know where to draw the line. I mean, I, I hope I haven't done anything similar with my children, but. Yeah, how are you with your kids? Well, like, I, mean, I mean, whatever you do, you're going to fuck up, aren't you? So you're going to get it wrong. Yeah. You know, even if you're the nicest, most open-minded person, maybe you're too nice and open-minded. And maybe what they need are a bit more boundaries. Or if you start setting boundaries, right. how do you know if you're setting the right ones? Maybe the ones you're setting aren't that important. And it's going to... yeah make them repressed in ways you hadn't considered and i it's it's just a yeah. total minefield people just get fucked no matter what yeah. yeah okay okay i found one that i've kept yeah because i mean it's f- kind of funny like she, okay so seriously your so-called comedy video with your saliva is disgusting you also <laughs> you are not to kiss girls whether or not you are acting as a man I don't know what you think you're doing putting stuff like this out in the social media. If you have a manager, they are clueless. You will destroy your career. I don't know who you are hanging out with because it is far from showing any talent. Wake up. The shock value doesn't work. It ruins careers. Work on real skills like acting, singing, or playing an instrument. Foul language and disgusting behaviors are for pornos. With people who have no talent. You say your friends think it's funny, but they're not laughing with you. They're laughing at you. If I see this crap again, I will personally fly out and drag you home. Mom. (laughs) (laughs) How old were you when she wrote that? I was um, like 24. (laughs) (laughs) what what was going on in the video that she saw um so there was two videos she was responding to one is just a video where i'm pretty much just standing there like slobbering (laughs) it's like very kind of stoic and i'm just slobbering and then uh kind of a a sort of 
as a sort of art piece. Yeah, yeah, it was very arty. And then uh, <laughs> another one was me as Nate. It was like my first kind of Nate video that I did where I'm like making out with this girl the morning after a one night stand and we're like making out and then I'm like, you should go. Um, I like tell her she should leave, but my mom didn't like that. I was like kissing, kissing a girl, (laughs) (laughs) which now like, but they've changed. They've come around to that. I mean, I'm, I'm straight or whatever, but I've gotten into, you know, I mentioned my parents are really conservative and Mm -hmm. I've gotten into it with them about like gay marriage and stuff like that. And they've come around. And I remember the moment where I was arguing with my dad. I'm like, what's so wrong with people loving each other? You know, we were arguing. This was like before they passed that gay marriage was legal. We were having an argument. And uh, I was like, what's wrong with two people loving each other, dad? And he was like, why? Are you gay? And I said, what if I was? And he took a moment. And it was it's actually like a really sweet story like he he really like took a moment to himself and like thought about it for a second and he looked up at me and he's like we would accept you and I was like I'm not gay dad but you see like now you see when it comes to you like it's different you Mm -hmm. know but it was like I think a moment of clarity for him where he he honestly like changed on a dime from that moment on that's good isn't it I mean yeah often that is what's required is just a an opportunity to switch perspective for a second which doesn't happen as often as you might think for a lot of people yeah but i mean (laughs) that's an amazing email and just the fact that it kept coming just one of those lines would have been enough to ruin your evening but then it's like and another thing and here's another one (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i have like uh, like uh Upwards of like maybe thirty of those emails. Wow! But I held, I've held on to that. That one's in my Google Docs because I, you know, bring it up for special occasions. Sure, yeah, that's a peach. Such as this, yeah. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because as a parent and as a child of parents who are also conservative in every sense of the word, you know, there is a part of me that is still like that that has some sympathy for that way of looking at the world that does worry that, you know, if you, if there are no rules and if you just do everything and if, if you don't pay, you know, some of society's rules are there for a good reason kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And if you're just Mm -hmm. throwing all of it out, then nothing means anything. So there is always that voice in my head a little bit. So when, (laughs) when you were reading out that email, I'm sort of thinking, yeah, I can I can see where she's coming from for some of that stuff. I I know what she's getting at, but at the same time, would I say that to my own child? Wouldn't I be more what you just described and think, well actually the fundamental thing is do I love my child? Yes, I do. You know, because at a certain point you have to trust them. Along with loving them, you mm. have to trust them a little bit. And yeah, you, yeah. I mean, that's easier said than done. And watching them make mistakes or what you think are mistakes and reining yourself in without kind of leaping on every single thing and saying, I don't think you want to do that. It's very difficult. Yeah. Is there any mistake like you've watched one of your kids make that you've kind of held your tongue or like haven't said anything because you thought 
uh, they need to learn this for themselves or yeah yeah a certain amount did they prove you wrong uh sometimes yeah they certainly a lot of the time it's a question of your worst fears not coming true you know a lot of the time they say it's fine it's gonna be fine don't worry about it and and they're right you know it's like you're you're sort of saying you know it starts it starts with um when they're little it starts with Bring your jumper. If you don't bring your jumper, you're going to get cold. I'm not going to get cold. It's fine. <laughs> like, you are going to get cold. It's cold out there. I know how these things work. You go out without a jumper, you get cold. That's just physics. I'm fine. I mean... Anyway, and they go out and occasionally they don't get cold. And you're like, oh, all right, then. It's a good, it's a reminder, you know, not everyone experiences things in the world exactly the same way that you do. Yeah. And not every bad thing happens that you're worried about. But it's just an instinct of protection. And also it comes from, a lot of the time, regret and remembering how many mistakes you made and how many mistakes you continue to make. You know what I mean? As a person. And you just want to protect them from the things that you know yourself you're capable of fucking up. But they they prove us wrong a lot. You probably proved him wrong too. Maybe he's like, oh, my dad thinks I need to wear a jumper. He's wrong. And then maybe he's out there thinking like, fuck, I'm so cold. But like my dad was right. Yeah. <laughs> but And then you're thinking like, wow, he's right. You know, he didn't get cold. And he, he, at the same time, he's thinking like, oh, I can't go back in there and get my jumper. My dad's going to yes. like, he's just too he tough right. to admit it. Yeah. <laughs> I think a, a lot of the time, it's just a question of letting them find out for themselves, isn't it? You know, you just have to. Yeah. When I think back with shame at some of the things I've screwed up over the years. And many of them were things that my dad explicitly warned me about, you know, mainly sort of practical things, you know, reading books, things like that, that my dad said, you've got to read books. It's just, it's great. Yeah. You know, and he was always just saying like, why don't you read books? Jesus, you've got to read. And I was like, yeah, whatever. You didn't, so you ended up not reading. No way, man, because it was too boring and not as good as watching TV. So I just watched TV and I'm sure I know it broke my dad's heart because he just thought, oh, he thought I failed. You know what he should have done? This is what my mom did. She said, you're allowed to stay up past your bedtime, but only if you read. Right. But I, I also, I actually watch way too much TV. Like, I have the whole uh, Nickelodeon magazine commercial memorized. <laughs> How does that go? But you guys don't, don't have that over there. I don't think it's so. Like, it's so disappointing because I could have learned, like, a language or something, but instead I have this, like, in my brain. So it's like... Um, you're on a mission to get Nickelodeon magazine. It's packed with celebrity interviews, comics, puzzles, and great stuff to collect. But only a real live grown-up can call to order it for you. Of course, you could think of a nice, polite way to ask. Nickelodeon magazine, please. Nickelodeon magazine, please. You never know who will pop in, what will pop out, and it's so good, you'll eat it all up. And you can get Nickelodeon magazine <laughs> delivered to your door. Six issues for nine ninety seven. Credit cards are accepted, and grown-ups know it's filled with fun and 
and interesting facts for growing minds. Unbelievable. So don't just stand there, Nickelodeon. There are lots of ways to show that you really won Nickelodeon Magazine. How? Uh, you'll think of something. Nickelodeon Magazine, please. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow. Devastating. At the drop of a hat, can just whip that up. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I can't. I don't think I can remember a few advertising jingles, but I don't think I can remember the text and all the terms and conditions of <laughs> an advert. I watch a lot of Nickelodeon. Yeah. Wait, this is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON. To save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. Oh, fly past. Hey, welcome back, podcats. That was Natalie Palamides there. I really enjoyed talking to Natalie. She's good fun. There's one or two links in the description of the podcast to some of Natalie's stuff, mainly a link to her website where you will find a good selection of bits and pieces that she's done over the years, especially the recent Nate special for Netflix that we talked about. Also a link to a little bit of information about Lyme disease. I am currently strolling through long grass in an area where deer do run around. A place where potentially you're in danger of getting bitten by an infected tick. I didn't know anything about ticks and Lyme disease until about, well, I guess it was a long time ago now. Maybe... When was it? 2007. I went out camping in Dartmoor with some friends. And I guess we were mainly townies because we didn't know anything about all that. It was September, I think. And quite rainy. But then we got a nice day of sunshine. And on that day, we were all just running around in shorts and sitting on the ground by the fire and not really taking any tick-style precautions. And when we got back to London, one of our team of woodsmen 
texted us all and said, has anyone else found any ticks? <laughs> and he sent a picture of his back and thighs. He was, he had loads, maybe 20 or something like that. None of us had that many, but I did find a couple when I looked. It was very alarming. It was, they were like, uh, well, it was a tiny dot, really. And it was on my thigh, and I, I thought, well, is that a tick? I took a photograph of it with a digital camera. This is, I didn't have a camera phone at that point, certainly not a decent one. So I took a photo with a digital camera, zoomed in on it, and it was like a scene from a horror film. Because the more I zoomed in, the more this black dot suddenly took shape and revealed itself as this creature with these... Well, it's like a little spider, I suppose, with fat little spiky legs. And its head is buried in the uh, skin. Sorry if this is <laughs> freaking you out. But it's... I mean, it's fine, really. As long as you get them in time... You have to get that head out without squeezing the... Um, well, listen, the information is on the, <laughs> on the website. I think it'll be too revolting if I describe what ticks do. But on the whole, I think, you know, you, you're only going to get Lyme disease if you get bitten by an infected one and you don't do anything about it, as far as I'm aware. So don't have nightmares. None of us on that camping expedition, I'm glad to say, ended up getting Lyme disease, even though all of us took home a few ticks. My wife reckons that one of them jumped from me onto her. Whenever I mention ticks, she always tells that story. Okay, that's enough TikTok. That'd be a good new social media platform. Middle-aged guys exchanging very short stories about uh, times they've been bitten by ticks. No. Crunch sound for short addendum. Uh, I forgot to say that I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks to attend to some family business. But I'll be back with a conversation with Jarvis Cocker, who was around, you may have seen recently, talking about his fantastic new book, good pop bad pop and i had a really enjoyable conversation with jarvis which will be with you in a couple of weeks so uh just to let you know if you're a regular listener and you wonder why there isn't a podcast next week that's why okay back to whatever i was about to say before saying goodbye today i just wanted to give you another recommendation for a music podcast that I've been enjoying and this one was recommended to me by the guy that makes it he got in touch, Ian Forth he is a British man who now lives in Melbourne, Australia and he got in touch to invite me to be a guest on his podcast actually but I said I was going to pass because it was it's one of those things like increasingly I feel as though I want to do a good job when I go on a podcast as much as possible and prepare a little bit and have something to say otherwise I just shit on no buckles you'd never do that 
I know, I know, but you know what I mean. And um, anyway, so I, I haven't been on the podcast yet, but I, I hope I will maybe at some point if he still wants me to. But I have been listening to it and really enjoying it. So Ian is a fan of a lot of the same kind of music that I like. I suppose alternative, the Americans would say. Indie pop, what I used to call it. Um, left field, the kind of, a lot of the stuff that John Peel used to play on his program and Six Music and that kind of thing. Anyway, I was saying the other day that it's so nice when you come across a podcast where they play the music in full, which is what Ian does on his podcast, which is called Sombrero Fallout, by the way. Sombrero Fallout. So I'll give you a few examples of previous episodes. Uh, Lee Scratch Perry, a tribute. Sometimes Ian has guests to talk about some of the music that's meant a lot to them in their lives and share stories. A journalist and a TV producer, one of the people behind Snub TV, one of the greatest indie music TV programs ever, a guy called Pinko Fowler. He was on there chatting about some music that he's loved over the years. And on that episode, actually, I heard the song Some Velvet Morning by Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra. The song is fairly well known, I think, in alternative music circles. A lot of left-field artists have done covers of it. In fact, I think the version they play on Sombrero Fallout, yes, is a cover by Roland S. Howard and Lydia Lunch. And it's a faithfully unhinged version but it made me go back to the Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra album and uh, listen again Uh, so that was fun and then on another episode about the Associates a band I really love but actually don't know that much about so it was quite good you know it's nice to dig into a back catalogue when you're up for the artist in principle but you don't know everything about them And then if you've got someone like Ian guiding you through on a podcast like Sombrero Fallout and picking out some really great tracks, it's uh, good fun to be introduced to this stuff. And he played a track called Paper House that I must have heard before, but I never really properly registered how amazingly good it is. I don't know, he might not be up your street, but... Wow, I was obsessed with that after hearing that for a while. And I've been introduced to lots of great bits and pieces thanks to Ian's podcast. Some of the other episodes, what have we got here? Well, going back to the very beginning, you've got episode featuring British female post-punk icons, episode on the craft work legacy, the sound of young Glasgow, politics and protest... L.A. and Hollywood, a tribute to Marky e. Smith, The Legacy of the Fall, episode on Brian Eno. It's good stuff. There's a link in the description to Sombrero Fallout. All right, that's it for this week. Oh, Rosie, having a bit of a sneeze there. You okay? 
I ingested some pollen. Mate, <laughs> this time of year. Thank you to Seamus Murphy Mitchell very much indeed for his work on this episode. Thanks, Seamus. Thanks to Helen Green. She does the artwork for this podcast. Thanks, Helen. Thanks again to Natalie Palamides for her time. Thank you to ACAST for their continued hard work and support. Thanks to my children who put up with me talking about them in public now and then. And I do check in with them and say, hey, is this okay? And is it, is it weird? And if you want me to stop, I'll stop. And they're always very encouraging and uh, cool about it. So thanks to them. And I, I hope they never come to regret that or be embarrassed by it. Rosie, don't drink from that rank puddle. But, you know, the experience of being a parent is so central to my life that it would feel weird not to be able to talk about it. But obviously it's a a process of kind of adapting and being careful as far as I can be. And sometimes getting it wrong. I'm saying this because I suppose there's a chance one of them might hear this one day or maybe uh, quite soon and... If so, hello, can you clean your room and bring those dirty plates down? Thanks very much. And thanks especially to you for listening. Really appreciate it. So does Rosie. There's some of Rosie's pants for you. Quick hug. Come on. All right, mate. Hope you're doing okay. Till next time, take good care. I love you. Bye!